Good morning, Life Point. It's a joy to be gathered this morning as we continue our series, The Messiah Has Come, The Christ of God, in which we're looking at the first four chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning we'll be in Matthew 4, and we're going to start our reading in verse 1. So if you would, just go ahead and turn there with me. In Matthew 4, verse 1, God's Word says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is God's word for us this morning. As I read this section of Matthew 4, I'm hit with the question, How can our Lord even be tempted. Our, our, the Lamb of God, our Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the Alpha Omega, wonderful counselor, Prince of peace, sovereign King of kings, is tempted. How can this be? Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been Tempted as we are, yet without sin. How can our sinless Savior, the one who has no fallen nature and was conceived by the Holy Spirit, how can he be tempted to sin? Jesus, fully God, fully man, how can he be tempted where there is no foothold for sin? I don't know. Isn't that kind of refreshing to hear? I, I don't know how, but here we're not asking the question how he was tempted, we're asking the question why. See, I don't know how, but I do know that in his temptation, there is enormous comfort and instruction for me and for you this morning. The baptism of Jesus amazes us of how willing and how far Jesus stoops down to identify himself with humanity. But then his temptation stretches our mind even further to show just how far Jesus will stoop. I don't know how Jesus was tempted as truly the God and the truly the God man or how he could be tempted, but I do not I do know why. The point of Jesus' temptation is not for us to understand how, but to understand this. Jesus faced temptation to unmask the tempter, and to reveal the path of victory. Let me say that again. Jesus faced temptation to unmask the tempter and to reveal the path 
of victory. And I believe this is going to be seen by us as we look at the place, the person, and the purpose of temptation. So let's begin our journey into the wilderness with Jesus as he is being led to temptation. So let's first ask the question, what is temptation? I'm reminded of a time when I gave a message for my students uh, back in Oklahoma, and I, and I thought I gave a pretty great message, but then a student came up after, and he said, Jonathan, can I ask you a question? And now, we're dealing with teenagers here, so I do not know what's coming next. So I just, of course, of course you can ask a question. Love to hear from you. So is this going to be a deeply theological question, or is this going to be a radically inappropriate question? So we're just dump, jumping in here. But he said this, when does temptation become sin? Wrestle with that question for a second. Do you know the answer? When does temptation become sin in our lives? Let me offer up a quick and easy definition. Temptation is anything that gives you an opportunity to sin or even distracts you from your walk with Christ. So temptation is anything that gives you an opportunity to sin. However, And this is an important clarification, so please hear this. Temptation is not sin. Temptation requires deliverance. Sin requires forgiveness. They're fundamentally different. They are not the same. same. James 1.15, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, the spiritual progression in the human heart is this. First, we have desire, and the desire leads to temptation, and that temptation leads to sin, and sin inevitably leads to death. Our deceitful hearts, as Jeremiah 17 says, will desire sinful things, but it is our response to that desire that is either a righteous action or sin. Essentially, temptation is not sin. It is the welcome mat to sin. This is what Jesus is facing in the wilderness. All the lures and the traps have been strategically placed by Satan to entice Jesus to distrust the Father in this moment. Jesus will guide us in the wilderness to unmask the tempter and to reveal the path of victory. So first, let's look at the place of temptation. And this is seen in verses 1 through 2. We're told in our passage this morning that right after his baptism, Jesus is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. The temptations of Jesus can be found in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. Now, Mark's description is very, very brief, but all Gospel writers make sure to include that this was through the Spirit's leading. In their own way, they say that this is the Spirit leading Jesus to the wilderness. So we must understand this is not Jesus stumbling into temptation. Jesus just finds himself there, but Jesus is being led. He is filled with the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But this is important. The Spirit led him to the wilderness, but God is not tempting his son to sin. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. See, the Greek word translated here, tempted, means to test. It's either a good or bad, in a good or bad sense. So this is positive or negative. 
Here, God's objective was to demonstrate the character of his own son by exposing him to Satan's tests. Scripture consistently teaches that God does not tempt anyone. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. We cannot say that from the hand of God delivers temptation. Nevertheless, he does allow his people to experience testing that comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil himself. See, the difference between temptation and testing is found in their goal. Temptation is the enticement to evil. Its goal is evil, is death. The goal of testing is that we may be perfect and complete, James 1.4, that we are lacking in nothing. See, let's take Job's life as an example. Satan seeking to incite Job to curse God, he's clearly tempting him. He is intending evil. But God, seeking to de demonstrate the integrity of his servant, he intends righteousness for Job. The same situation, but two very different goals. The temptation doesn't arrive until after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. And we're, we're told the profound fact that Jesus is a man, that he was hungry. This is the natural consequence of fasting, that Jesus was hungry. The natural occurrence for someone who has gone so long without food, and it is the natural need of hunger that the tempter uses, that desire to satisfy for his supernatural attack. See, the place of temptation is when our desires are twisted, they're turned, they're manipulated by Satan to leave the path of righteousness and to pursue evil that inevitably leads to destruction. But we must, church, we must cling to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Satan strikes at the place that is most strategic for his plan. The lures and the traps are set so that he can come alongside this natural desire and twist it for evil. But now let us look to Jesus as the one who walked in the same place. He can sympathize with us and he has provided the path to victory. So that's the place of temptation. Now let's look at the person of temptation. The person of temptation. There are three different names that are used to describe Satan in our passage this morning. Now these aren't just uh, varieties or uh, different occurrences of the same thing. This is meant to teach us something. So the first one that we see is in verse three. And the tempter came and said to him, Satan is first described and named as the one who entices. He is the, the tempter. He is fulfilling the role of enticing for evil. He is the one who entices the believer to do that, that which is evil in the sight of our Lord. The tempter is the one who simply suggests the idea of sin. It's just a suggestion. The second we see his devil. Then the devil took him, as it says in verse 5. Here, 
he is named as simply the devil. And that term means one who engages in slander. Look at the double-mindedness of Satan. See, first he entices. He is the one who suggests. But immediately he goes to slander and accusation. So it might go like this. The tempter, do it. It will satisfy you. You've been really good. You deserve this. Hey, God forgives, so just enjoy this. So he entices, he suggests, but then he moves as the accuser, the devil. And he says, how could you? Oh, what would your father think of you now? Feel that shame and that guilt and sit in it. Surely you can't return to him. We have a double-minded adversary. And finally, our text calls him by his true name, Satan. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Satan is used here for the first time in the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew will use this term about four times throughout his gospel. But he is the one who is leading the charge against the kingdom of God. He is the arch rival. He is the arch enemy. He is the adversary. He is the one who is the opposite of holiness. He is in pursuit of evil. See, these names are more than just varieties in the text. They are meant to unmask the tempter. Meant to show us who he truly is through the temptations of Jesus. Trying his very best to tempt and to slander the people of God. Here we're reminded of the reality that yes, temptation does come from inside of us, from our fallen nature. It does come from those around us. It comes from our fallen world. But it also comes from a person. And that person is the tempter. He is the devil. He is Satan, the enemy of God. And he must be recognized in temptation. We must point to him. And like Jesus said in verse 10, be gone, Satan. Just like Jesus unmasks Satan, we are too. We might follow along and recognize that the father of lies, as he, at lies as he's called in John 8, he is whispering us lies in this moment. He's enticing us. Follow Jesus as he unmasks the tempter. And now we move of how he provides the path for our victory. As we look at the purpose of temptation. See, each temptation is different. But the purpose of each is to sow distrust between the Son of God and the Father's will. So how can Satan sow this distrust? It's through three temptations. Temptation one, we see it in verse three. And it's to distrust the Father's care. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. One commentator showed how there is a certain subtlety here as Satan is suggesting something. He's assuming that Jesus is the Son of God, but this if just adds a little bit of doubt. Like, why don't you prove it? If you are the Son of God, surely you can and you should turn these rocks to bread. Now, at first you might think, this is not a temptation I face. I don't go around and thinking, I could turn that rock to bread. But there's something bigger here. It's not just the miraculous event. The root of the temptation is to distrust the Father's care. It's not the miraculous event. It's to distrust the Father's care. See, Satan is whispering here to Jesus, does the Father truly care for you as the Son of God? These whispers reverberate in our own hearts and minds this morning. Does God truly care for me? 
It's been really hard lately. Is he there? Is he listening? Reminded of this, the Psalms of lament. God, do you hear me? Are you there? Don't turn your face away from me. Does God care for you? That these whispers are reverberating in our own hearts and minds, but Jesus quotes back Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone. This is found in verse four. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God, the response of Jesus is by the book. We'll see a rhythm here. It is written. But Jesus goes to the the word of God, and when temptation, these words come from him, it is written. Satan, you are telling me something that I need, that I know I do not need. You're telling me I need this, that I deserve this. But Satan, that is not true. You are the father of lies, because God's word tells me what I need. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 25 through 26. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or weep or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Church, hear this. Are you not much more valuable than they? Do not let the whispers of distrust in the Father's care take root in your heart. Are you not more valuable than they? If God clothes the flowers of the field, will he not provide for you? Do you trust in the care that he has faithfully provided for you up until this moment and for him to continue to do so? Now, the second temptation is to to distrust the father's love. Let's look at verses five through six. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, verse six, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Now, this is Satan speaking. So Satan's trying his hand at quoting God's word, saying, hey, if it worked for you, why don't I try it out too? Psalm 91 is what Satan is quoting here, but he's not quoting it accurately. See, just like in the garden, he is twisting God's word. That is what he faithfully does. He twists his word. He leaves out the phrase, in all your ways, which is key in Psalm 91. That according to the psalmist, a person is protected as they follow God's will and his ways. See, this is not an opportunity for God's will to be tested. It's not God's will for Jesus to throw himself into meaningless danger, to only test the Father's love for him. Look at what John Calvin says about this verse. Whenever Satan shall cover his deception by Scripture, and ungodly men shall labor to subvert our faith by the same means, let us borrow our armor exclusively from Scripture for for the protection of our faith. Calvin is saying there, as Satan twists God's words, and all the, as the false prophets and false teachers of our days, as they twist God's word and cause us to doubt and we hear whispers of it, let us fight back with the word of God, not our opinions, but God's word. Again, we hear our Savior say by the book, it is written, and quoting from Deuteronomy 6.16, Jesus points to the truth that we are not to put the Lord of your God to the test. Satan is attempting to get Jesus to usurp his will over the Father's. See, to jump from that height is a way that he is trying to get Jesus to manipulate the will of God, that he is trying to control God in this moment. And we too attempt to manipulate God. Our hearts 
crave for God to prove himself to us. We even say things, God, if you would just reveal yourself to us, I would surely believe then God has in his word. But we do not trust him. See, we're reminded of stories of Gideon and the fleece or miracles of him revealing himself to his people. And we say, man, if I only had that, my faith would be unshakable. But as that miracle leaves that day, the next day we are going to crave another and another. Because our trust is not in the Father. Our trust is in the miracles or in his works. May we follow the way of Jesus and just trust God at his word. The final temptation is to distrust the Father's plan. Verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. For the devil's final temptation, he attempts to sow distrust in the Father's plan. Showing Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world. That these are all brought in light and say, look at how beautiful it is. If it was one universal kingdom under your reign, look at how beautiful that is. And friends, this is what's so enticing of sin. It's attractive. It's, it's, not, it's not unattractive so we can easily turn away. There is an attraction to sin. So we are tempted by it. It is luring to us. See, Satan is saying here, I can accomplish the will of the Father for you. And you can be the king without the cross. This is the easy way, Jesus. This is the way around the cross. Take it and you can be the king of kings. You could be the king of kings without the cross. Again, we think that this temptation is not one that we face. Surely we do not face the same temptation. But essentially serve the devil and rule the world in modern terms would be The end justifies the means. See, the way of the cross is not one of pragmatism and compromise, but of selfless submission to the Father's will. That is the way of Jesus. It leads to the bearing of our cross. Jesus responds decisively at this point. Be gone, Satan. And again, we hear our Savior say, for it is written, See, Jesus will have nothing to do with this proposition from Satan. Satan has shown himself to us and he calls him by name and he says, be gone. One commentator said, since the tempter has now thrown off the mask and stands forth in his true character, our Lord no longer deals with him as a pretended friend and pious counselor, but calls him by his right name, his knowledge of which from the outset he had carefully concealed to now and orders him away. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13 back to Satan. At the proposition of breaking the first commandment, he is done with Satan's temptations and orders him away. Satan, the tempter, has been fully unmasked. And the path of victory is revealed to us. And the path of victory is seen in this way. It is written. The path of victory is by the book. It is by the book. And it is from the power of the Spirit of God. See, isn't it interesting that Jesus, our victor, that where others have fallen to temptation, Jesus the Messiah has not just overcome temptation, but has defeated the tempter. 
Jesus shows us the path of victory over temptation by using spiritual resources that are to our access again, the word of God and the power of the spirit. And as I think about the story of the temptation of Jesus, as we zoom out and we step back away and we look at the whole narrative of scripture, we're reminded of the garden where Adam and Eve were too tempted and they fell. See, Adam and Eve were not hungry. They had everything at their beck and call, but they fell into sin. And then I'm also reminded of Israel in their 40, day, 40 years wandering through the wilderness. And they were tempted to sin and they failed. See, we look to Jesus as our victor. He is the better Adam and the truer Israel. He is our victor. The path to victory is in no other footsteps, but in the footsteps of our Savior. And here's the beauty of the gospel. He walked through the same temptation you are facing today. Do do not look anywhere else. Don't look to the wisdom of man. Look to the wisdom of his word and look at the path of your savior. And as you are tempted today, look to Jesus and he's, he walks and leads. He beckons you to follow him. There is no way to eternal life. The welcome mat to sin is temptation. And as we tell Satan, be gone. We can say that with all confidence because Jesus has not just defeated temptation He has defeated the tempter. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for you sending your son to us. That we have a great high priest that sympathizes with exactly what we are walking through. That he is identified with humanity, with with me, and with you. He's identified with us, but without sin, so that he could show us the path to victory and it's in his footsteps that we already are secured in eternal life with him so that we can walk faithfully with Jesus. Our victory over temptation and over death is in Jesus alone. May he be lifted high. May he be praised this morning. And may he be glorified and honored as we say, be gone, Satan, and we walk the path of righteousness in the footsteps of Jesus. Amen.